0: Hello, and welcome to the My Messy Church podcast. Each week, we will be going through your questions from the weekend services and doing our best to present answers from a biblical perspective. If you haven't yet listened to the weekend sermon, I want to encourage you to head over to curtislake.org/media for context of what we will be discussing today. We love getting your questions and cannot wait to grow together. So, without further ado, let's dive into My Messy Church.
1: Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the My Messy Church podcast, uh, where we're looking at questions that have asked this past weekend uh, during our Sunday morning services. Uh, this week, we were talking about the cross, uh, kind of a continuation of the previous week, um, and, and specifically the, uh, the way in which for some of Paul's audience, uh, there was this idea that uh, the cross was to a segment of people, an offense. Um, specifically, he calls out uh, the Jews uh, who would have viewed the cross as something um, that that would have been offensive. It was a, uh, a stumbling block is how, how he describes it because they saw themselves as uh, people who deserved to be in power, uh, people that sort of uh, didn't need any other help other than... Uh, having their their uh them having themselves freed from the regime of rome right so they, they needed some political salvation but like in and of themselves they kind of saw them they, they they considered themselves to be righteous and and uh and and good before god and the cross demonstrated something different from that and then there's this other reaction um that he kind of assigns to the non-jewish world uh the gentiles or the greeks where the cross is a—it's foolishness. It's a the 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 very fact of what the cross represented, which was um, a horrific way of, um, uh, of of giving somebody the death sentence. Uh, you know, again, reserved for the worst of worst of, of of all people. And the idea that that a movement would start. Um, on the heels of somebody who is rejected first of all, by his own people and then by uh, greater society, uh, it was just foolish. And so, you know, we, we need to kind of wrestle with, um, the degree to which we might possibly treat the cross in the same way. Like, does, uh, do we, th- does the cross actually, uh, serve as a, an object of our contempt? Uh, you know, do we, do we empty its meaning? uh, from, from what it means because we fail to see ourselves as people desperately in need of salvation. Um, you know, or, you know, do we just, do we just have this kind of idea that, you know, it's a, it, it's a foolish way that God has saved the world. So anyway, uh, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the message, I encourage you to do that. Uh, so we got some questions kind of coming out of there. Uh, I did listen to the podcast. I, I listened to all the podcasts and, I've discovered my answers have been way too long. And so I'm going to do my very best to try to um, abbreviate, uh, especially we we got a handful of questions here today. So I'll try to move more quickly through uh, if that bums you out and you like kind of the deeper dive, you know, of 20 minutes into answering a question, my apologies. uh, But I think that this will probably kind of help um, serve, you know, what we're trying to accomplish here. All right, so let's get into it. Uh, The first question we had this week was, can you suggest ways we can share Jesus with those who are more analytical or need proof, especially if that's not how I'm wired? So I think this question comes out of the idea that, you know, Paul had this um, very pejorative understanding of the world's wisdom. Uh, he uh, He was pointing out that the world's wisdom fails in bringing us Uh, Into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and so uh, he talks about how he comes in through the foolishness of preaching, preaching a message that, like we said, in and of itself is uh, foolish. uh, At least it seems foolish on the surface. Uh, And so, you know, the question here: it's like, okay, well, if 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 the message is in fact foolish, uh, you know how are we going to reach people that need they just they need more like they don't need some simple thing and and so uh, to that I would just say first of all the message of the cross is not simple it's I mean it's it, it is simple but it's also anything but simple right the the cross is so deeply significant that um, that it deserves a, a, a tremendous amount of our thought and our our meditation like it's not it's not just this like simple mathematical formula that you know provides uh the sum for two numbers it's 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 just something so much more significant than that now when it comes to like the 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 analytical side of our our brains and and i can say i'm i'm in the same boat right i'm 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 a very analytical person um like i need I need for things to kind of fit and make sense you can't just you can't just tell me something and i'm going to oh all right well that sounds good uh if if the if the things that you're telling me are actually um creating some cognitive dissonance in my own brain (laughs) meaning like you're saying something and there's there's part of my my brain that's just not seeing how that adds up and i i think it's really important to point out that when it comes to the claims of Christianity, there's there's been tremendous thought work put into uh, an understanding of how, like, what what claims there are. They do at they do in fact hold up really really well um, under scrutiny. Uh, claims of things like uh, important things, like you know, was Jesus in fact God? Is Jesus the person of Jesus, was he in fact God in a body, in a human body? Um, or was he, was he just a man? Was he just a teacher? Was he just a prophet? Was he, you know, was he something other than than what scriptures really uh, bear him out to be, which is fully and completely and holy God? Um, anyway, the, like you can actually, there, you could actually do a lot of analytical work to arrive at a conclusion on that question that affirms that Jesus He actually, he must be, he must have been God. Same thing with the resurrection, right? So obviously all of Christianity kind of hinges on the resurrection. Paul even goes so far as to say, if Jesus is not raised, then our faith is in vain. Like it just, our faith itself is meaningless and void. If Jesus hasn't in fact risen from the dead and there's really kind of no use uh, continuing to pursue the life of uh, a Christian. So obviously it's a very important question. So is the resurrection, did that actually happen? Did Jesus actually rise from the dead? And again, you can you can go into that question with a high degree of skepticism and a willingness to analyze um, everything that's out there. And many, many people have arrived at the conclusion that this man, Jesus, did in fact rise from the dead. And here's why, right? And there's all kinds of um, uh, quote-unquote proofs. Uh, when it comes to, in that interesting segue, I mean, when it comes to the word proof, like there's nothing, I mean, I can't prove that God exists. I can't prove that Jesus is God. I can't prove that uh, he rose again. I, any more than, than many of us could prove Some particular thing that happened a month ago, right? We can't prove it because we're not able to reproduce it uh, in kind. I I suppose if you caught it on video camera, um, but even then, you know, somebody would work really hard to point out how uh, well that 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 video was uh, just—it's not authentic or or whatever. And so, when it comes to proving things that happened in the past, as opposed to uh, proving things through a a certain kind of um discipline like the scientific method you know where you're you're creating an experiment and you're you're um you're you're proving that the same thing is going to happen every time you perform that experiment and and so now you have proof that like this is how it is when it comes to historic claims i mean there's just you know you know, you can't prove that julius caesar was ever um, the emperor of rome you just you just can't do it and so what you, but but there are obviously there are ways that we can we can go back and there are um what i would call you know scientific methods for discovering and uncovering um history and so listen i just i would say from a personal standpoint uh and again as a person who's uh the the cerebral part of me desperately needs to be satisfied uh i do not uh, I do not just kind of go on my feelings and oh, well, that sounds good. So yeah, let's. Like, n- nothing more to see here. Uh, I, I, I need I need things to resonate with sort of the you know my my sense of the world and um, and I've found over the years of walking with Jesus that uh, that that you know it it does does that mean that like I, there's there's never any doubt or skepticism. No, you know of course not. Um, none of the, none of the authors who wrote the Bible, I think ever fail to express some doubt from time to time. Right. So it's not, it's, it's, it's not that like everything is just doubtless and yeah, it's, it's, it's all good. Um, but I think if you, if you want to, there's a gazillion books, um, you, you pick the subject that a person needs to have proof on the problem the problem with proof is that like when a person's heart is set against actually believing or seeing something then that's when it's really really hard to get them to see something else Uh, so the the question of questions of things like faith and proof and evidence and analytics and all that stuff it actually it's probably more of a spiritual question like what is the condition of my heart what is my what is my spiritual condition is it one that is open and ready to actually um, hear and listen to what is available for me to consider, or am I just gonna, am I just gonna shut it off, close my mind and, and that's the end of it. And so, um, that's kind of what I'd say to that. All right. Next question. How would you say one grows in discernment within faith? Many differing opinions throughout Christian speakers or preachers within the Christianity sphere. Uh, so I think, uh, what Tyler here is asking is, um, you, you know when it comes to this life of faith, uh, there is a, a broad spectrum of thought that uh, if I could use the illustration of walking into a bookstore right when you go to the the religion section right and you just kind of scan all of the titles that are there, you're going to have an array of um, uh, theological, and worldview takes, and 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 they're actually going to, you know, many of them conflict with one another. Uh, so uh, clearly, forever and ever, um, this has been the case, and it will continue to be the case. You're going to have people who are preaching or teaching or speaking on behalf of Christianity, right? And so they're going to, they're going to. Uh, they're going to take on the name of, of a Christian. They're going to be perceived as being a part of uh Christian dumb and they, um, but by virtue of what it is that they're teaching, you, you might call that teaching into question. And so the question is, well, how do you, how do you parse that out? Like clearly if, if I've got five or six different people um, that are, speaking on you know some particular topic uh either like let's say i have five or six of these books you know all written by different people and uh, you know two of them are kind of leaning in this direction two of them are leaning in this direction and there's a third guy it's just like you know n- not even related to those other two and so the, the what what is being written about is actually like there's conflict there you know this guy says this thing this person says this other thing and and they're the opposite right so they both can't be true um how do you how do you actually discern which one is true if, if you think that's important trying to arrive at the conclusion of who to agree with um and 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 so I think that the question itself suggests part of the answer right which is growing in discernment <laughs> how do you grow in discernment well you 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 grow in discernment uh, you I think continue to press into discovering uh, what it Mean like in 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 the purest sense possible learning the life and teaching of Jesus like starting right there uh of, of, of becoming so familiar and comfortable with the gospels uh to start so that you have a really really solid understanding of who this person is right like you're 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 becoming so intimate with the texts that talk about the life, the ministry, the teaching of Jesus, uh, that you find yourself espousing them. And then when other things start to come up that seem to smack of something that's not Jesus, then then like the discernment antenna goes off, right? It's like, wait a second, this just doesn't sound right, right? Because this doesn't seem to kind of fit in with you know what scripture is teaching me about jesus so yeah there's this is gonna be a challenge i mean there's going to be a lot of different opinions a lot of different ways that that people will uh, look at any number of subjects and um and and some of these some of these subjects are they're very important and and so i would suggest kind of like we talked about this past sunday it's not you know, having an agnostic kind of view or take on, uh, on truly important things is like, it's not good enough. We really should be, uh, trying to push, uh, forward and understand and discover, you know, what is true. All right. So thank you for that one. All right. Laurie asks, maybe I'm going too deep here, but how can we believe in the word of God? If it's in fact written by the foolish, does that make sense? So, again, going back to our text from this past week, you know, Paul describes the cross as being in the gospel, um, uh, sort of the message of the cross, uh, as, but as foolishness to those who are relying on their own worldly wisdom. And so, um, I would say that When we're talking about the word of God, uh, the way it's kind of phrased here in the question, you know, written by the foolish makes it almost sound like, you know, you've got a bunch of uh, people that have absolutely no idea what they're talking about that just wrote stuff down. And now 2000 years later, we're, we're supposed to just accept it. Like, how are we going to accept words written by foolish people? Uh, Paul does not, uh, when Paul talks about foolishness, um, and, and, and even will himself like take on the idea that like he is seen as a fool for what he believes. It doesn't actually mean that he is a fool. Right? It doesn't mean that the message of the cross is actually foolish, right? It's it's anything but. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are relying on their own worldly wisdom. Right? They're looking at it as foolish. Like I don't think it's foolish. Uh, nor do I think that the scriptures as they've been delivered to us, uh, do I think those are foolish. Uh, So one of the things that's important to remember when it comes to scripture is, uh, especially with regard to the gospels, um, uh, the book of Acts, right? So the first five books of the new Testament, uh, these are, in in to a great degree written as eyewitness accounts and eyewitness testimony of uh of certain things so like in the case of Matthew the gospel of Matthew is credited to the disciple Matthew who walked and talked with Jesus like he was there when he records the sermon on the mount he is recording that as having experienced being at Jesus's side as he's delivering the sermon on the mount right um uh, Luke is a he's a little different because he wasn't there and uh, but he takes this uh, this his historical or historian kind of approach to writing both the Gospel of Luke and also uh, the Book of Acts. Following he's he 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 writes both of those things, so he he actually writes. Uh, more of the New Testament uh, than anybody else in the, in those two books, and so Luke, when he is compiling the information for his gospels, he's 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 trying to do it as a responsible historian. And then uh, the doctrine of, uh, of scripture that we that that we hold, um, the doctrine of inerrancy, for instance. Uh, the doctor, the doctrine of um, of inspiration, tells us that there is a sort of indescribable um, union of God's Spirit working together with the writers, the human authors, to compose what we now call Scripture. So, in essence uh yes Matthew was was writing and his his language, his personality, his experience all flows out of that in the um, I think 28 chapters of his gospel. But they're also like those words that are written, they're they're guarded um you know by the by the the the, the sanctity of the process of the Holy Spirit coming and uh sort of uh overseeing is probably not the right word, but inspiring. He's uh He's, he's inspiring those words so that they are, in essence, while they're Matthew's words, they are also, at the same time, what we would describe as God-breathed. Um, that's what the, the Greek word inspiration um, that we use, the scriptures using to describe themselves, is that the scriptures come to us as uh, the, the, the breathed-out word of God. And so... Uh, it's not, in fact, just, you know, written by a bunch of knucklehead fools, but it, it is it is something far more, um, you know, far more, far, far more sacred. Again, I, I say indescribable because uh, the idea is, you know, God sort of carried these authors along. He bore them along uh, as they were writing. And so it's not like mindless dictation where they just, you know, their eyes rolled in the back of their heads and they started writing. You know, like their hands just started moving because God overtook their bodies. So it's not that, but it's also not just purely um, uh, human of human origin. It's 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 somewhere where there's this 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 mutual kind of working together between the human author and the spirit of God. Uh, next question is: If we leave it to God for informing people of His gospel, wouldn't that contradict us being disciples and spreading the word? Uh, so, uh, one of the things I mentioned, you know, this past Sunday is that uh, so th- for the people that were in the room, uh, I was kind of making the point that we have uh, we have we have had the message of the cross preached to us. And, uh, and, and, and I was trying to help us understand the importance of like, how, how do we respond to that and that it, and that it requires a response, right? The cross is not something that you come to and then just walk away with, 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 with no, with no kind of um, uh, impact uh, or, or outcome from that thing. It's not, it's not, it's not a sterile thing. Uh, when we encounter the cross, we either accept and embrace the cross as we devote our lives to following Jesus, or we reject it. And, and I get, well, what about what if, what if we just don't do anything with it? Well, if you just don't do anything with it, then you're in essence rejecting it. But there is this sort of binary kind of um, experience, and, and I'm not saying that that, that like you. Um, that the the life or the journey of being a christian isn't in fact a journey it is and and sometimes uh, you know people will over a period of time find themselves growing in their understanding of and their commitment to the uh the message of the cross like, and and what that means to them and, that, and, that, and that's fine in fact that's probably going to be most of our experience but what i'm what i'm trying to get across is that the uh the cross doesn't it doesn't just have no effect whatsoever. Um, and so and this might've been uh, sort of unimportant, but I, I, was, I was trying to um, anticipate the question. Like if the cross is so important and it's so important for us not only to encounter it, but then to respond to it, what about, what about the millions and millions, maybe billions of people who've never even heard the message of the cross? What about them? uh like what would you say what would you say about them and so i just i kind of threw out there the idea that you know like i don't know we we, we don't know uh, a classic christian uh, classic question you know that's 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 been in christendom for at least as long as i've been alive and probably far longer is um if it, you know if people if people don't receive jesus as their lord and savior before they die and they go to hell right so that's that's sort of a um kind of a simple take on um personal eschatology so if if that's what happens then you know what about what about these people in this this unreached tribe of people that we don't even know exist they've never heard the gospel they've never heard the bible they've never heard the name of jesus you do you mean to tell me that when they die they just they go to hell um that doesn't seem very fair and so I, my response to that was just like i don't i don't know how god when when God judges the living and the dead, right, which we know is going to happen, God is going to judge every single person. We're all going to stand before Him. We're all going to um, be held accountable for the lives that we've lived. And and while we hold on to the 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 sacred idea that salvation only comes through Jesus, it only comes through the cross. There's no other way for us to be saved. Uh, you know this question of well, what about people who've never even heard about it i i don't know and not only do i not know but nobody knows so um what we do know is that you know god is a he's he's a perfect and just judge and he'll handle it and so i, I just kind of threw out there like don't worry about them um Don't worry about the people that have never heard the message of the cross. You have heard it. And so what you're accountable for is what you have heard. Now, uh, the second part of this question is, does that contradict us as being disciples and spreading the word? No. in, In fact, it's the opposite. It's the very reason why we do move out from where we are and work really, really hard to spread the gospel. Right? Like That's what Jesus commissioned his disciples to do prior to his ascension. He breathed on them said receive the holy spirit and then he commissioned them he said Go into all the world and preach the gospel uh, to every creature. Right, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Book of Acts we're told that he said to his disciples, "Stay here in Jerusalem until you're until the Spirit of God comes on you, and then you will be witnesses um, for me in in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the world." And so we continue to carry on that mission. Um, that's why our church supports efforts like translating the bible into languages and dialects that have never even had a page of scripture available to them because we believe it's so important uh, for people to hear the gospel and be given the opportunity to find uh, hope in jesus
0: did you hear we're bringing a new event to the city of sanford on saturday october 14th from noon to 3 p.m we will be heading over to Carpentier Park on High Street to serve our community. There will be free food, inflatables, games, and more. We hope you'll make plans to join us on Saturday, October fourteenth, from noon to three for our party at the park.
1: All right. Uh, regarding what we can know, what are the close-handed theological topics that would be considered unwavering? So this kind of come up a couple times and uh this is a question that'll come up I think a lot just you know in our lives in general because there um, when it comes to when it comes to Christianity there uh, there is this diversity of um theological thought on a whole slew of topics right this is why we have in our in our community and the world, we have all these different kinds of churches, right? And so, what does that mean? Like, let, let, let's presume Curtis Lake Christian Church is a, you know, bona fide, true to the center Christian church. Like, you can't do it any better. Um, you can't teach it any better than the way Curtis Lake Christian Church does. Hey, but then you have this other church down the street and they, they, they you know, on, on some particular thing, they kind of have a different take. And there's another church over here and they have kind of a different take. And um, like, are those churches are those churches Christian or are they not Christian? Because they're not in, in full agreement or harmony with what we teach as a church. Uh, clearly, it would be very, very presumptuous and arrogant to say, well, we have the lockdown on the truth on every single topic and the extent to which other churches are theologies conform to our theology you know that's where we're sort of the standard we are not the standard um as far as we're concerned from a doctrinal standpoint scripture is our standard right like that's what we go to is um it's the pages of scripture and we believe that the bible is infallible right that it is without error uh and so that's going to spark some other questions which i'm 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 not going to try to to preempt um but look it up the the doctrine of infallibility and like what does that mean that the scriptures are infallible uh that they are inerrant that what we possess in this thing called the bible is a trustworthy collection of documents that relates to us the word of god um there are there are challenges with interpretation. So while the Bible may be infallible, um it's been commonly said that the Bible is infallible, but our interpretation of the Bible is not infallible. And so this is why you have, you know uh, i could I could put around this table three or four other kind of uh, pastors or or theologians or thinkers, and we could talk about various topics and we could actually have differing opinions on those things. So the question is, well, <laughs> All right. But what about the, how do we know what are the ones that really, really matter? And what are the ones that it's, you know, it's okay for this church over here to believe differently Um, because we can both come into the conversation with, um, scriptural support for how we see it. You know, it's like, well, you know, the Bible and, and here's all the verses that kind of support this way of thinking about this thing. And the other person's like, yeah, but um, I see your point, but but then the Bible also says these things. And so it kind of paints a different picture. Um, there are there are certain things within the, 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 the umbrella of Christendom, uh, of Orthodox Christianity. There, there's room, there's space there. For some diversity but within Orthodox Christianity there are on certain things there is no room <laughs> for uh, diversity so uh, once uh, one way I would I might describe um, the things that are super important is like let's look at the historic creeds uh, the historic creedal confessions uh, you have the Apostles Creed you have the Nicene Creed and so these creeds, have um they have survived centuries right hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years they and they were already a reflection of what was commonly believed like were there uh groups of people that call themselves Christians that didn't hold to those beliefs? yes, but they were also considered not to be Christians <laughs> because they didn't hold to those same beliefs right they were considered to be outside. Um, kind of the pale or the umbrella of, of orthodoxy, right? Or uh, the word that would have been used to describe them was they were heretical, they were heretics. Uh, now I know that opens up a whole can of worms because we've had all kinds of people accused of being heretics, um, the reformers for one, right? Like you get into the 1500s and you have this movement of reformation that's beginning to take place, uh, which is people who are, uh, rebelling or revolting against the teachings of the established church, the Roman Catholic Church, uh, and 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 many of them being martyred for taking a different position than the church. However, what they were doing was completely appropriate because they were they weren't they weren't making something up or or going into an area of like some fringe kind of theology. What they were doing was demonstrating how the institutional church had actually departed away from scripture, like had gotten away from the word of God in all kinds of areas, some very, very important areas. And so reformation was needed, right? Reformation, meaning like we need to reform our faith. We need to reform our understanding of things because we've gotten away from the Bible. And so here we are in 2023, I think hopefully always trying to do exactly the same thing. Uh, when I preach, i I, tr- I really, really try to help bring out like the 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 ancient and historic context in which the particular text that we're looking at was written so that we can properly understand it. Like what did this mean to that audience back then? What are the um how 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 is what was written colored by the environment in which it was written, the context in which it was written? And then now, we who live in a completely different kind of context and setting, uh, you know, completely different in some ways, very much the same in other ways. But how do how do those how does what was true when that was written how does that relate to what is still true for us today? Um, you know and so like that's the way we we go about the bible so so anyway look at the creeds just read the read the apostles creed we believe right and it kind of goes um i will say that the things that we should be close handed about generally will pertain to things like the nature of god right so um we believe in the triune god that is that god is eternal and that he eternally exists um as father son and holy spirit and so there's the doctrine of the trinity which is a Difficult to understand doctrine, but an important doctrine for us to understand. And so that would be kind of a non-negotiable way of understanding God. If somebody wants to say, well, you know, that's not really how I see God. I see God as more, um, you know, kind of this like life force that just permeates the universe and is in all of us. And we are all part of it. It's like, okay, well, scripture doesn't teach anything like that when it comes to who God is. And so, no, I'm going to reject that. And I'm going to consider that to be unorthodox, and I'm not going to like I'm not going to budge from that. Uh, another area where people, uh, the 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 earliest movements of of heretical thought uh, and departure from the, the 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 faith that was delivered to us uh, pertain to Jesus, right? People people get the matter of jesus all screwed up and and when you start screwing up the doctrine of christ then you 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 just you end up with something that is not really at its core it's not christianity and so um uh, and then you know there are also like our the way we see ourselves the understanding of man in relation to god right so we call this anthropology like the the study or the doctrine of of mankind um the doctrine of sin uh original sin uh, like the effect of sin how sin is a uh it's a universal experience for every single one of us and that it actually separates us from god and we need God to save us from um, from the impact, the effect, and ultimately the penalty for that sin. Like those are those are all um, those are all non negotiable things. Somebody wants to talk about hell. All right, heaven and hell. Are, um, you know, is hell a literal place of literal torment that lasts for eternity? Like, is it just like we see in the pictures, um, a dark place? Somehow it's dark, but it's also like super fiery, and there's demons and and the devil, like with pitchforks that are that are torturing people for all eternity. Um, you know, and, and so you might have somebody that says, "Well, this is kind of the the picture that the Bible casts on on hell," and then you know, another person might say, "Well, I that's not the way I understand hell. I think I think of hell as being, <coughs> excuse me, I think of hell as being something that is, you know." What is true about hell is that it is eternal separation from God, uh, and that it's something that we choose for ourselves, and it, it's not it, it's not eternal conscious torment, you know, like constantly being on fire for ever and, ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And so, you know, those those that's a that's an important question, but it's it's like it's a rung below, <laughs> at least a rung below, maybe a couple rungs below. Um, Like both of the, both, both those ways of thinking could be, I think, um, could, could live and and be debated within the context of Christianity. All right. So look at the creeds. Uh, next question. How can we trust that the entirety of the scriptures are infallible if they were written by people who are infatuated with power, people who had agendas? Uh, so I already touched on this, but so let me, let me just say a little bit more, uh, when it comes to this person specifically uses the word infallible. Um, and I can't tell if the, uh, the writer of this question is presenting that the scriptures were written by people who are infatuated with power or is questioning whether they might have been. Uh, but either way, it's a, a really good um, a really good kind of like point to who actually authored uh, the scriptures. The fact that, so I would just say from the beginning that that the scriptures were written by people who were not infatuated with power, and because of that fact, they are um, they it it just it gives them a level of trustworthiness um, that is much higher than if they were written by people infatuated with power. Now, the person who wrote this question may be they they may be uh, you know they may believe. what, what, what can be taught in, in, um, you know, in some of the the critical takes towards scripture is that, uh, that the script, like, uh, we'll just talk about the New Testament, but, so the New Testament, the Gospels, um, and the Book of Acts and the letters, kind of like all these things were written, uh, some people would say, well, they were in hundreds of years after. Jesus was alive on this earth, right? And they were written by uh, like an institutional and religious power that wanted to then use those writings in order to maintain their power over people. Uh, so th- there, there, there's some critical and scholarly thought that would suggest that very thing, um, which is different from the way I look at scripture. Uh, so I, I, I hold a uh, a view that 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 does have. Uh, very very good scholarly uh, very good academic support uh for for being very closely uh tied into the events that they are describing so for instance just using you know kind of big numbers um or you know very vague round numbers like let's just say let's say jesus was born in you know at zero um which he probably wasn't but whatever. Let's just say he was born at 0, right? He lived about 30 years, 33 years. Um and so, you know, AD, what we would call AD 33 he dies and and then soon after that ascends into heaven. Uh there's a lot of academic support for some of the writings that 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 we have that we call scripture, we call the Bible were written within like within that generation. Uh Obviously, if uh, if Matthew, a disciple of Jesus, did in fact write the Gospel of Matthew, then it would have been written before Matthew died, right? So, uh, presuming Matthew was in similar age to Jesus, um, you know, could he have written his Gospel in in you know 80, 50, 80, 60, uh, you know, but not not 250 or three hundred, right? Like that's the that's the big difference, and so. I think that I think that most responsible scholarly work does attribute the writings of the New Testament to an uh, at least a fairly early date. Right? There's there's a spectrum there, um, and because if you if you want to be critical of the scriptures, then you want as late a date as possible, right? Because the later the date is, then the less authentic the scriptures are going to be. If you want for the scriptures to be authentic, then you want an earlier date. So I get that there's a you know. Um, that, 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 that serves into the argument, uh, what a person may feel like they want it to be. Um, and so you, you do kind of have to sort through that, but is it, is it, a, is it actually a good and responsible co- conclusion that the scriptures were, were written not by the people that the scriptures seem to themselves to kind of give credit to. Or, or what what Christian historical Christian tradition has handed to us again first Corinthians the book that we're, that we're reading written by Paul right like was it actually written by Paul or is it something that was just written by some other person you know long after Paul that was that was using it as a as an ecclesiastical tool to maintain the religious institution um so is it is it a good take that that it It was written by people who were infatuated with power well i mean i don't think so (laughs) i i think there's 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 just so much good support for for the scriptures being you know far more authentic than secular uh and academic criticism may suggest so it's like okay well why why do these scholars on either side of the argument why you know Why do they not agree? It's like, well, I mean, part of it is like you can't prove it one way or the other. You just there, there are there are methods or methodologies that are employed to 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 be critical of the text um, and 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 you know all these other um, things like you know. Uh, archaeological implications you know uh, all right we found this whole collection of documents at such and such a place and we can time or date these documents to such and such time and then these documents actually uh, are very very similar almost identical to these other documents that that came much later or much earlier and when we compare them they seem to basically be congruent with one another that would suggest a high level of uh, authenticity toward those documents. And that is in fact what we have. So, uh, again, there's like, if you really want to know, um, like how we got the scriptures and whether or not they can actually be considered to be trustworthy, there's lots of really, really good books that will, um, talk about that. And I just encourage you to look at that. Ooh. All right. Here's a quick one. Uh, what does agnostic mean? Um, so I kind of like poked at the agnostic a little bit as being a, you know, kind of a, a, um, a false humility. Uh, so an agnostic is simply somebody that would say, well, we can't know. Um, uh, so let, let, let's say you're, you know, you're sitting in a room with three of your friends and one person says, I don't believe in God. You say, okay, well, that friend is an atheist, right? They don't believe in the existence of God. So they are an atheist. And you have another person at the other side of the table says, Well, I believe in God. Um, without even describing who that God is, just simply, I believe in God or a God. Okay, well, that is a theist, right? So you have an atheist and then you have an atheist, right? And then your third friend says, well, you can't see God. You can't touch God. You can't feel God. You can't do anything to prove that there is a God. And so you can't actually know, Um, you know, atheist, you don't, you can't prove that there isn't a God theist. You can't prove that there is a God. And so uh, I'm just going to kind of sit here in the middle as an agnostic and not be worried. I'm just going to do my best to live my life as well as I can. And if there's a God, hopefully he'll be happy enough with the way i lived my life and that will be that um if there isn't a god well then that's fine too because hopefully i you know again did the best i could with my life and lived as full a life as possible without even worrying about whether or not god exists uh so on the surface that can sound like a really humble take right like i'm not making any absolute claims whatsoever uh but if you know if if god is in fact who Scriptures say God is, and He does in fact desire to have a relationship with us. And our eternity does in fact hinge on whether or not we respond to His invitation to be in a relationship with Him, or by by rejecting that invitation, saying, "No, God, I I don't, I don't really, I don't need you, I don't want you, I, I'm kind of good on my own." Well, there's there's implications for that. Really, really important. I would say, as a pastor, I would say eternal implications for that, and so um, that's what that's what it means to be agnostic. Um, Again, don't recommend it. What I do recommend is be humble. (laughs) Like, like, uh, don't just we've got to be less arrogant about um, the the spirit that we go into. Uh, our lives with, and and how we live with and engage other people, right? So, me as a theist sitting across from the table uh, uh, from an atheist, you know what would be really bad relationally is for me to just um, talk about how stupid that atheist is for believing what they believe. I mean, they may say that I'm stupid for believing that there is a god. Yeah, but I need I need to be fine with that. Like I need I need to I need to be humble in my approach, um, and also humble in um, in just, you know like how I share with other people. Again, not not being not being like wishy washy. Um, like humility is not wishy washyness. So I'm not talking about being wishy washy. Uh, I heard it described recently uh, in a way that I really love, and that is. Um, you know, you know, we ought to be, we ought to be really, really, um, hard or firm in the middle, but with soft edges, <laughs> right? Like, uh, like you might take a, a piece of your furniture, uh, that you're now having to baby proof your, your house. And so you have this, you know, you have this hard table that, you know, the baby's going to, but So it's got a hard center, um, but you 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 pad it with soft edges uh, so that the baby doesn't hurt itself. Like that's, I think, a really good way that we ought to approach uh, people who disagree with us. All right, next question. By contain, do you mean embody it ourselves or fully understand or know how to apply it in all situations or something else? So this question comes out of, um, I was describing how when it comes to uh, our knowledge of god that i think that the 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 best approach to understanding god is that we accept what he has revealed about himself to us right so god has let me start at the beginning the world has no way of actually knowing god um using its own tools and devices right like there's again there's no uh, th- there's not a there's not an uh, an exploration or a journey that we can take We can't get into a spaceship right and set the coordinates for some place called heaven and then get there and then whoo there's god and 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 now i can study him and like take notes on what i observe there so we we have no way of actually knowing god the only reason why we can know god is because he's revealed himself to us he's he's Uh, He's done this through the pages of scripture. He's done this through the revelation of himself through the person of Jesus, right? And so he he has said some things about himself to us. Now, what do we do with that? Well, for some, they reject it. For others, they embrace it, right? They say, This is who God has revealed himself. I'm going to embrace that. Um, When I was talking about the, like, what does it mean to, to, to know God um and this person's asking what do you mean by contain it like well what, what I'm saying is that God reveals something about himself but he is he's infinite in every single one of the aspects of his being right so he is uh he is infinitely loving he is infinitely holy, He's infinitely wise. He's infinitely powerful, right? There's just there's no end to any of all of the all of the aspects of his nature, um, what we would call his divine attributes, He is those things to their most perfect degree, right to an infinite degree. And so when God describes himself or shows himself, reveals himself as a loving God, there's a degree to which we can understand that and accept it right so what i can do with that is i can say okay well god is not a hateful and evil god because god has revealed that he is a loving god okay so i can i can understand that to some degree i can't contain it right that's the the point is like because it's an infinite degree of love i can't like if i try to describe it all the way to its end i'm never I'm like i'm never going to get there I'm, language is not going to actually express the love of god nor is it going to express the holiness of god i'm always we're always going to fall short um because we can't actually contain that because we are finite um uh, so god has he has given me the capacity to love Right and to experience love, right to love and to be loved, Um, and so uh, I, uh, hopefully, the trajectory of my love is moving toward what might be described as unconditional love. But it's never gonna it's never gonna be like God's love, right? Because God's love is infinite and mine could never be. All right, two more questions. Uh, But what is our calling in response to those who have not heard the gospel? How are we followers of Christ daily life? How are we uh, followers of Christ daily life in large scale? I'm not really sure what that sentence means, but um, what is our calling in response to those who have not heard the gospel? Uh, we kind of touched on this a few moments ago. Uh, our calling is to preach the gospel. It's to proclaim the gospel. That's right. The, the, the text that we were looking at this week was, um, it, it said that it was through the proclamation of the cross uh that like the 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 god saves the world god turns upside down the wisdom of this world and he saves the world right it says god in his wisdom god was well pleased to save the world through the foolishness of what is preached right the proclamation that's that's God's methodology for bringing people to himself. Um, so what that means is could God have done it other ways? Like could God have, uh, could God have like sent and commissioned a whole bunch of angels to kind of hang out in one particular part of the world. And like, that's, you know, everybody that wanted to find out about God would just go to that place and talk to the angels. And those angels would, you know, could he have done that? Yeah. I suppose he could have done that. People have said before. Now, why doesn't God just kind of write it across the sky um, that He's there and that He loves us, and then He wants to have a relationship? Why doesn't He just why doesn't He just do that? And, and the answer to that question is: Well, He He has <laughs> He has done that. Uh, one of the most beautiful scriptures that describe the reality that we can all that we all have access to a knowledge of God um, says something to the effect of the heavens declare the glory of god the skies declare his handiwork something like that right so in other words that there's a kind of majesty in nature itself that says this did not happen on its own that god something someone is responsible for this um and so so god has in essence written across the sky and he is a uh, question came up i think last week or the week before it's like why did jesus have to die on the cross why couldn't he have died some less horrific way it's like oh, well if he hadn't died on the cross then what significance might his death have had not only to the people who were there to witness it but now here 2000 years later think about it we're still drawn to the cross right because of the impact of like what that event actually is Last question, what are some ways Jesus demonstrated God's wisdom in the Gospels? Um, you know, so we talked about how God's wisdom stands often in contrast to our wisdom. And uh, uh, so I, what are some ways God Jesus did that? Well, I mean, read, read through the Gospels and you'll see Jesus so oftentimes providing a different take on what was the common consensus or popular opinion of that day. Uh, And this kind of goes back to what I said at the very beginning, like read the Gospels, become so comfortable and enamored with what is there. Um, Continue to digest, like read them over and over and over again. And then like the Gospels sort of form a core for our understanding what it means to follow Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that the rest of the Bible is not important, but like the Gospels kind of in the hierarchy of of biblical literature, I think the Gospels kind of stand there at the top. Um, because they are, that they're, they're describing and talking about the very central, um, person, uh, in whom our faith is placed, which is Jesus Christ. So, so read the gospels, like uncover who Jesus is, who he reveals or what he reveals about God, uh, through the, the way in which he lived his life and through his teachings. And then you can even hone in a little more to, you know, things like the sermon on the Mount, right? Which is three chapters in Matthew, Matthew five, six, and seven. Which, which provide a completely different kind of wisdom than what was commonly, um, you know, used or leveraged in, um, in, in the everyday world uh, of Jesus' audience. And so, uh, those are some ways that I think you can, you can un- un- uncover some of God's wisdom um, in the Gospels. All right, uh, good stuff. Thank you so much. Uh, those of you who uh, contributed questions for this week, um, hopefully we had some. Uh, good time together thinking about and thinking through uh, all these things. And i look forward to seeing you again next week. Take care.
0: Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of My Messy Church. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to head to your app store and download the Curtis Lake Church app for easy access to all of our content. Thank you so much for joining us, and we can't wait to be with you next week.